We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land. We respectfully acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. Master of one. What's your most prized possession, Meg? I don't know, but it's not a saver. Um, <laughs> oh, you, but you like it when I saver bottles because oh, then we have to drink them. Yes, that's true. That's true. I do like the fact that we have to drink copious bottles because you can't put a cork back into them. Yeah, really jazzed up that meeting the other day. But I don't like hearing about it every day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know what my most prized possession is wine-wise. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I'm not really into things. Things. No, yep. I'm into the theatre. That's right, you are. Dramatic, <laughs> Alexis. All right, what have you been drinking this week, Meg? So this week I had a Nebbiolo Delangi. So it was from Moretti. So Nebbiolo's mm-hmm. from the Piemonte region of Italy and Langi's a sort of a larger, flatter part because it's renowned for all of its hills. Okay. It's kind of Nebbiolo that we can all afford. It was sort of $45 as opposed to those astronomical $80 or $150. So Langi isn't actually a brand. It is a type. Yeah, so it's called Nebbiolo de Langi. So it would translate as Nebbiolo from Langi. Ah, L-A-N-G-H-E. And you can get it, what, pretty much anywhere? Yeah, I have no idea where I got it from. I found it in my cellar, but given, you know, I've been on Costco, maybe it was from Costco. (laughs) No, I, I, I really don't know. Just right. Google it. I'm sure it'll come up and you'll okay. be able to find it available. If it was, if I bought it and it's about $45, it's probably widely available. Okay. And uh, do you have a fun fact for us this week? I do have a fun fact for you. I was um, talking to my son about history and I knew that they had wine in Egypt because they had all these hieroglyphs, but Mesopotamia, which is apparently the the cradle of civilization was known to have beer, but actually they found evidence of wine. So it's good to know that wine was there at the birth of civilization and we're carrying on that civilized tradition today. No, we love that. Yes. (laughs) All right. So today we're going to get into wine myths. Now, I can't wait to get into this because I don't know about you, Meg, but I think I spent half my life cringing when people say things like this they're so common all these that come Mm. up and I don't want to be a wanker so most of the time I don't (laughs) correct them it's tricky but I often just say oh no that's a load of crap (laughs) just there's no point yeah um I don't know where they come from that's a thing they're like urban myths they just sprout out of nowhere and they are they literally are everywhere and they continue to grow. I know. It gets worse and worse. So like sea monkeys add water yeah. and then suddenly you've got something floating in your water. <laughs> <laughs> so, I loved sea monkeys when I was a kid. <laughs> the, the history of the sea monkeys guy is really, really interesting. He went broke. I have to turn down your microphone because of how loud you just got because of how excited you got about sea monkeys. Sea monkeys are awesome. Oh, God. He spent years researching which kind of crustacean would bounce back to life with water. Hi, I'm welcome to Sea Monkeys with Megan Mount. I listened to a podcast on it. I swear. Oh, no, I, 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 I did. I will find it for you. Okay. <laughs> Getting back on track. Sorry. 
All right, so we're going to go into the, some of the most common ones, these top misconceptions, but the stuff that we get is so wild. Even Courtney the other day, who works at Rob Dolan, said that um, someone told her they couldn't have Pinot Noir because it had the same effect on them as caffeine, and it was Pinot Noir-specific. Is there any validity to things like that? I can see no reason why. I, I You know, the red wine has polyphenols, which are antioxidants, so that might perk you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Pinot Noir has more resveratrol, so unless they're having a reaction to resveratrol, I really don't see why it would only be Pinot. And can I just ask, because this person sat down at the same time of night, having had the same meal, the same work, and done Shiraz, then Cabernet, Pinot, and actually tested it, or is this person just blaming the Pinot? I think people Never blame the Pinot. (laughs) Never Never blame the the Pinot. I love that. It's never Pino's fault. All right. Well, let's go into some of the more common ones. And we've actually done these. We put out polls on our Instagram to see what people thought. And overwhelmingly, it seems that these are very common ones because 70% of people in our Instagram think that wine gives you hangovers. What, how do you do – is this true? Is wine going to give you a worse hangover than beer or spirits or whatever? No. It's the amount that you drink. So that's why we have standard drinks labelling on the bottle. So, you know, wine has more drinks in it. So if you've had one bottle of wine, you could have seven standard drinks. You have one pot of beer, 1.3 standard drinks. The other thing is that wines aren't all the same. Yeah. You know, I just bought today a little Moscato de Asti, 5% alcohol. I think it's three standard drinks in a bottle. Yeah. But if you're drinking a whole bottle of Pinot and it doesn't keep you up at night, then you're drinking seven and a half, eight standard drinks. So not not all forms of booze are equal, but all alcohol is equal. Each standard drink contains 10 grams per litre of alcohol, whether that's in a pint of beer, a shot of vodka or a glass of wine. So it's the alcohol that gives you the hangover. Of course, it's the alcohol. And wine happens to have more alcohol than some other drinks like beer. Yes, but if you drank the same quantity of standard drinks... Standard drinks, then... You would have, I'm saying, the same hangover. Yeah, okay. It's alcohol, people. (laughs) Yeah, there's no quick fix there. All right, um, I love this one. A spoon in sparkling wine keeps the bubbles overnight. Have you ever done that? Yes, <laughs> for years, for years and years and years. Um, yeah, I don't know where that's come from. It's really, really yeah. weird. It, it doesn't make any sense because two things would keep bubbles in. Well, three. One is probably refilling the bottle with more bubbles so that oh. there's no. It's the air in contact with the wine that's going to release the carbon dioxide dissolved in the wine. Yeah. Cool temperatures. The cooler the wine is, the more the dissolved oxygen will stay in solution. Yeah. And then putting a stopper on it. Um, I, I was given a gift from a friend, best gift ever, one of those sort of pressurised stoppers. But, yeah. you know, you could use any stopper theoretically. You wouldn't yeah. have to use that just to keep any more air getting yeah, in. Yeah. But, no, I don't know where the spoon thing comes mm-hmm. but I certainly did it. Oh, I've done it. And so have 62% of the people that believe But do they Instagram. believe that it makes a difference? Uh, or did you not ask that question? No, we asked if you've done it. Or if no, we asked if you do it. Yeah, do it. Continue to. Okay. Yes. Mm. Um, no, the best thing is one of those stoppers that clip underneath the bottle or finish the bottle. Yeah, well, I know what my preferred option yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Can you chill red wine? Because 
55% of our Instagram saying no. And um, there was actually a few comments. People came in and said, okay, yes, but only Pinot Noir. Yes, you can chill red wine, but I would prefer – well, two things. One, if the wine's too warm, chill it down because the alcohol is going to look really, really hot and the wine's going to look unbalanced and disgusting and kind of jammy and cooked fruit. But if you chill it down, make sure it doesn't have a lot of tannin. I do find that (coughs) – excuse me – colder wines, red wines, the tan makes the tannin look – more drying okay. and more present. Yep, yep. So that's possibly why everyone said Pinot, but certainly I've had Pinot Gamay um, in the north of Italy, Valpolicella, which is a blend of grape varieties that are a little bit like Pinot, so they're very soft in tan and soft in acid. Yep. They'll chill that down on a, a hot day. So, yeah, I you can chill red wine, but I wouldn't do it with really um, tannic wines. Okay, all right, good one. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Um, organic wine is better for you or like organic wine won't make you hungover? No, and no. <laughs> um, organic wine is certainly better for the planet. I would, we I would, like that. I would argue. Um, organic wine has to come from organic grapes, which have to be grown organically. And then finally they've introduced the organic methods that have to be followed in the winery. So every product that you use has to be organic. So if you're using yeah. egg whites, they have to be organic. If you're using commercial yeast, they have to be organic. Okay. Um, but alcohol itself isn't organic in and of itself, so it's not somehow better alcohol with a little bit of probiotic attached to you. Speaking <laughs> of which, I heard about this kombucha June, which is alcoholic, and they're oh, calling yeah. it the champagne of kombucha. And you can drink it at dinner. But that's another whole podcast. Okay. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, alcohol is the same in organic wine yep. or traditionally made, conventionally made wine. So it's exactly the same. You will not get a worse hangover. So what if people – I think there's a conception out there that non-alcoholic wine, there is chemicals sprayed on the wine and the grapes aren't even washed and it gets turned into wine. Thus, organic is better for you. Is there anything in that? No, because we have things called minimal um, residue limits and minimal withholding periods. So after we've used a spray, we have to hold for a certain period of time so that any residue or we Mm. reach the absolute minimum. And if we don't have that minimum, we can't sell the wine. You can't make the wine. So it's not in the grape grower or the winemaker's interest to spray and to make you sick. Yeah. So, no, those those sprays don't um, affect you at all. And a lot of the sprays that we use are just copper and sulfate anyway, things that are naturally available in the environment. So Okay. All right. Great wines have great legs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all wine has legs. Legs are where when you swirl the glass, it will sort of run – they're rivulets or tears that run down the side of the glass. Yeah. And what it is, it's the – it's basically surface tension. It's the, the alcohol or the higher alcohols – um, clinging to the glass mm-hmm. and running down. Now, wines differ in the thickness or the viscosity of those legs. The co- some wines have coloured legs, but it really you can't judge a wine by its legs because you you can have cheap wine that has great legs, so yeah. it's not giving an indication of quality. Yeah, okay. So I wouldn't rely on the legs to tell you. All right. Um, what about blended wine is inferior. Oh my god! I know. 
Um, no. <laughs> wow. Do you think about the great wines of the world? Bordeaux. Yeah. Blend of, you know, five different varieties. Um, a lot of wines. You know, I was just t- teaching Italy today and they've got Sangiovese and Montepulciano and Sangiovese and Chianti's blended yeah. with other great varieties. The reason we blend is to make it whole. Yeah. It's a little bit like you complete me. Oh, so the little great yeah. varieties, one's Renee Zellweger <laughs> and one's Tommy Cruise and they're coming together and completing oh. each other. But I'll give you an example. Cabernet Sauvignon is sometimes what we call donut wine. Okay. So it lacks a middle palate weight. Yeah. So we use, um, in the case of Bordeaux, Merlot, to fill that out because Merlot is a soft, round grape variety or in Australia we use Shiraz, so Cabernet mm-hmm. Shiraz, to fill that out to make a better wine and some of the greatest wines in Australia and some of the most yeah. long-lived wines in Australia and some of our oldest wines, you know, from Hunter and Coonawarra in southeast Australia are actually blended wine. They're not inferior or oh, less quality at all. That's where I think the absolute like brilliance, the art of winemaking is actually getting those blends and finding a perfect, I know. perfect balance between tannin and acidity and weight and all these things from different varietals. It's- Look at champagne. That will be a blend. A house champagne from Moet and Chandon, for example, yeah. would be a blend of probably 130 Whoa. base wines. Yeah. We're talking Pinot, Chardonnay, Mernier, <laughs> some of which are pressings, some yeah. of which aren't pressings, yeah. some of which have been barrel aged. So... You know, champagne, perfect, yeah. and it's a blend. Champagne is perfect. It is, when it's done well. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, what about just the old saying, like food pairing is as easy as red wine with meat, white wine with fish? Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing's ever easy. I mean, we, we always say like with like, and I, I have said before on this podcast that I am not a fan of big red wines with fish. Yeah. But I'm talking – Cabernet with white fish. And the reason I f- is I find that the fish makes the tannins look really metallic. Yeah, great. And that's the reason I don't like it. But that said, you have an oily sardine mm. or mackerel. Think of a sardine with, um, what's that, salsa verde on top of it, Ooh. grilled on the barbecue yeah. with a Cabernet Sauvignon. The herbiness of the salsa verde goes with the herbiness of the Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. And you've got the acid and tannin to counteract that oiliness in the fish. So the thing is, we don't in Australia we tend to think of fish as flake, mm-hmm. um, whiting, barra. Yes. So we are talking fairly delicate white fishes. Um, fishes is that a word? Fishes. Fish. fish. I think fish. Fish is the plural of fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, sheeps. And but in Europe they certainly have eat a lot more oily fish yeah. than we do. And like I was saying before, these lighter tannin grape varieties such as Pinot Noir, um, Grenache, mm-hmm. would go well okay. with fish. With red meat, you need tannin, but you also need fat and acid going mm. perfectly together. So you need yeah. acid. So, yeah, I just – whatever's going suits you. And, like, I often pair to – the flavors on like the sauce or the sides and stuff. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be the protein itself. Yeah. Cause to. again, protein's a textural thing, isn't it? And that yeah. tannin is a textural thing. Whereas you're wanting the, the flavors Flavor. to sort of match and not override each other. And I would also argue that the, 
the 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 weight or the strength of the, the dish. So mm. delicate with delicate, strong. Oh yeah, with strong. That would be that, makes that sense. would be my only rule if there was one. I okay. wouldn't limit myself to great varieties, you know, with certain types of food. But like with like in terms of the structure and the the strength of the flavour, the intensity of the flavours and yeah. aromas. Okay. Um, what about, you know, there's really expensive decanters that you get from Riddell that are like eight, $900 and they look like ducks and stuff. Are they going to decant wine better than your like Kmart $15 piece? No. The allergy, the allergy? <laughs> <laughs> what I would do is compare it to a handbag. Okay. Your Birkin handbag yeah. at six grand carries stuff. Yes. It carries stuff just as well as your backpack. Okay. So your Riedel decanter <gasps> would ca- do the same job as a decanter that you buy anywhere wow. else. There are a few caveats around that. Okay, okay. One, you know, everyone says it has to be crystal. Oh. I don't know that I necessarily Never agree. Heard that. Yeah. Um, because it's inert, so you want an inert vessel, so glass is inert, so that's um. good enough. I What you want is you want air. The point of decanter, putting wine in decanter, is to have air in contact with the wine. So the more air that you have, the more rapid the evolution of the wine is going to be. So I would just go for those decanters. That the shape is more important. Okay. You know, like the up, upside-down mushroom ones yeah. where they're really flat, Super flat on the bottom? Super flat on the bottom, yep. I think that is the best decanter I've ever used. But, look, I've used jugs. I've poured it back and forth <laughs> into wine glasses. I've re-poured it into empty bottles Yeah, to, just to get air into it. Okay. But, you know, it's great if you've got your Riedel decanter that cost you a grand um, that you can sit on front of the table. But let's face it, that's a trophy. And yeah. the wine's not going to look much better, given that they were the same shape. Yes. I would say. Okay. All right. We're going to finish off with this one. Um, it's a blanket statement, but expensive wine is always better. Well, apparently uh, they did a study and it tastes better. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> so so they, they gave the same three different wines and attached different prices. So one wine had three prices attached to it, the same wine. Yeah. And the more expensive it got, the better it got on oh, ratings. Oh, okay. So as long as you think it is more expensive, it's going to taste better. And I would say, look, no. <laughs> The more ex- t- to a certain degree, up to about eighty dollars, you're you're paying for lower yields, yes. better oak, better selection, um, more rigorous winemaking, less volume. Yes. So exclusivity. Yes. yes. When you're getting up to the fifteen thousand dollar mark, you know, for, for I was reading for DRC the other day, fifteen grand. Oh, um, oh my god! What is a wine worth? How good can it be? Yeah. It, it can't be that that great. Uh, what could I do with 15000 I could fly to France yeah. and have a great old time, which I'd rather do than drink a bottle of DRC. It's exclusivity. It's what we attach to it. It's it's like anything. We we attach value to inanimate objects, and we're doing that with wine. Okay. And they become more expensive the more exclusive and less availability there is. But the sad thing is that those really expensive wines, most people don't drink. They're like yeah. trade, they're commodities that they're yes. going to trade on the stock oh market. Oh, God, that is sad. It's like art. You know, these people buy this great art at Sotheby's and then it just sits in their safe, you know, and they don't, yeah. they're hanging on their wall. I just, yeah. It's a crime. Yeah, it so, is. So, look, 
to a certain point. The more you pay, you're getting your value for money. But then over a certain point. Well, once we're in thousands, it's getting Even hundreds. Even hundreds. You know, if it's a yeah. current release, what, what's Grange now? I, I, 800 for a current release. I just wouldn't do it. No. What I could spend $800 on yeah. that I know will age really, really well, mm-hmm. I wouldn't spend it on Grange. Wow. Because imagine if you were disappointed. And oh. that said, I did have a 95 Grange on my at a significant birthday just recently, or well, not that recent, but recent enough, and it was the worst wine of the night. <gasps> and I think because we'd been drinking European most of the night, yep. 95 was a warm night. I'm not saying the wine was bad. It was yeah. just very much in that South Australian mould of jammy fruit, lots yes. of oak, lots of development, high alcohol, and possibly I was in error serving it at the end of the meal. Um, I waited for the beef to come out, for the meat to come out, and yep. it just didn't work. We were probably okay. tired, but it just it was the most disappointing, oh, and I hate to no. think what that was worth. I know. Oh, God. All right. So, look, we've tackled probably the most common wine myths that you're going to come across. If you know of any others, uh, we'll definitely get to them in the podcast. So give us a shout on our Instagram, Wine with Megan Mel. But to finish up, Viva Velma. we've got to a question for the week. And it comes from Stephen. Stephen says that he understands that Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio are the same grape. But what he doesn't understand is why bother giving them different names. Is there actually a difference? Same grape variety grown in two different countries. That's how they've got two names originally. Pinot Gris from France, from mm-hmm. Alsace, northeast of France. Pinot Grigio from the northeast of Italy, actually, Veneto. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Australia, it's come to mean a style. So Pinot okay. Gris means a richer, rounder, probably more alcohol, 13.5% style, because that's kind of what they do in Alsace. Whereas Pinot Grigio is more your aperitif, lighter in colour, lighter body, lower alcohol. More zingy acidity and yeah. more straight lined on your palate. Not as not as complex as a Pinot Gris. That's kind of what we have in Australia. We tried to do a sliding scale. Yeah, the Pinot Gris scale. It was not taken up by anyone um. at all. It was a stupid idea, but we tried. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. Well, you know, I, I saw it on a few in a few wine shows where people were using it, and I thought, well, that just that actually is counterproductive because yeah. the consumer doesn't know what Gris versus Grigio is anyway. So having a little arrow halfway between them means help. nothing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go, Stephen. Hope that one helps, and uh, you're able to pick between Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio next time. Uh, we'll finish up there, but definitely get in touch with us with all your questions at Wine with Megan Mal. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we've also got a competition coming up, so keep an eye out for that in the coming months. We'd love to invite some people out to the winery, so we'll have details out about that soon. But until next time, enjoy your next glass of wine. Drink well. Drink well.